1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing?
2: Okay, Nick. After waking up to some relatively positive news, obviously the most positive news would have been KD's not missing any time, but he's going to miss a little time. We'll dive deep into what that means for him, the Nets, and the team going forward.
1: Yeah, in our first pod together of 2023. So that's a pretty big deal. Obviously, like you said, the KD news, not ideal, but could have been way worse. We'll jump over that and play more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. But, Jack, hit us with the official report from Woj.
2: Official report from Woj. While Kevin Durant uh, has been diagnosed with an isolated MCL sprain of the right knee and he'll be re-evaluated in two weeks, the Nets announced. Now, we know I mentioned it on the pot, the solo pod that I did that he missed about six weeks last year when Bruce Brown was shoved into his knee by Herb Jones. It seems unlikely that Kevin Durant will miss that length of time. Nick, what was your reaction? How are you feeling about this two week reevaluation it seems to me 2 to 4 weeks seems to be the estimate
1: yeah i think when i saw the play i was just like oh damn like just bad luck and it was like you've mentioned you know very similar to last year almost exactly the same in a way and it seems like there's more positivity surrounding this injury where last year there was more concern of it lingering on and you know taking you know two months where this one it seems like he'll likely be back in a month and it's not as severe i remember there being a, a little bone bruise last year i think as well and this year it seems like just to be that isolated MCL sprain not as much damage and As we've talked about before, this team is well-equipped to deal with injuries, unlike last season. You know, they had to play some really bad lineups. I think Doug Norrie just tweeted out the lineup they played after Kevin Durant got hurt was Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Patty Mills, Kessler Edwards, and De'Ron Sharp. That Mm. is a lineup that would not see the floor this season. You know, obviously James Harden's not here, but those other three are only playing in garbage time.
2: Yeah, that's yuck. And and the yeah. thing is now that the Nets have a bit more depth, and we'll talk about maybe if the Nets do decide to make a trade or this increases the urgency around that. It's there are a completely different circumstance. You know, Steve Nash isn't coaching. You know, the as you alluded to, the wing depth is certainly there. James Harden was on the way out, you know, yeah. around that sort of point in time. So you judge the circumstances for what they are, but you judge the circumstances for what they are now. And what they are now are more advantageous. You know, the the, the schedule coming up doesn't look too bad. Steph Curry's coming back, the Nets life to verse the Warriors again, but they versed the Warriors without Curry, so that sort of evens things up. We'll dive into that a little bit. But what I did see from some medical people on Twitter, Nick, including Jeff Stotts of in Street Close, the average time missed since the 05 06 NBA season for a grade one MCL sprain is 18 days, which averages out to about six or so games. I also saw from uh, Jesse Morse MD he said best case scenario is that it's an isolated grade one MCL sprain Uh, insinuated there was no injury to the ACL, meniscus both of which can be injured in the same mechanism which KD suffered in his original injury so he said two to four weeks is realistic to return to play. So we know KD actually has a, a, a real propensity and a real you know, desire to want to get back out there more than anyone else. So, like, there's not going to be a ramp up with Kevin Durant. KD's going to want to put on that Nets uniform as soon as he can. So, positive, you know, ish news when we sort of speak about the time frame.
1: Yeah, and I think an important note last season was there was rumblings that the knee was still bothering him in the postseason against the Celtics and that he never really felt 100% and almost felt the need to come back because the team was struggling so bad and he wanted to make sure they got into the postseason. So this year, a different situation. The team just seems to have better vibes. You know, last year you mentioned James Harden pretty much already on the way out, and that was kind of the final straw. Katie going down this team seems to deal with him off the floor better, even though the numbers aren't necessarily super pretty, but there are some Supplements and there are potential for guys to play substantially better than what they're playing right now and have played substantially better in the past. I'm looking at you know Joe Harris and Ben
2: Simmons. No, and we'll get into the guys that do need to step up. You put out a pretty thoughtful tweet about, you know, what's going to happen around the team. But I wanted to get into just Kevin Durant's impact on the team, the on-off numbers, different combinations. You know, did my research on stats. I posted one this morning. I'm going to be posting one tomorrow morning around Ben Simmons and Kyrie Irving. The just general on-off numbers with Kevin Durant this season, Nick. So the Nets with Kevin Durant on the floor this season have a 118.9 offensive rating, which is elite. A 112.6 defensive rating, so plus six. 6.3 net rating off the floor the nets plummet to a 111.8 offensive rating and 113.7 defensive rating minus 1.9 so It's pretty obvious that the Nets are going to be incredible with Kevin Durant on the floor and very average with him off the floor, but those numbers don't bode well. And neither do these ones, Nick. These are the ones I researched last night, and I I put them in our doc, so you got to see them a little bit earlier than when I'll put them out on Twitter tomorrow. So the solo Kyrie Irving minutes without Kevin Durant on the floor are actually pretty positive. So 278 minutes, and the Nets have a 115.2 offensive rating, which is pretty good, and 110.4 defensive rating plus 4.8. Decent enough. However, when you t- turn that into Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons without Ben, without Kevin Durant, it really goes down uh, the floor, um, down to the, you know, the down really, really down. That was 278 minutes with Kyrie Irving solo minutes, 140 Kyrie and Ben non-KD, 108.2 offensive rating, 112.9 defensive rating, minus 4.7, essentially the opposite of the solo Kyrie minutes. Look, Numbers don't tell the full story, and sometimes I get called a nerd for just focusing on the stats a little bit too much. But I wanted to bring them to the picture to just show what has been happening so far this season in the minutes without Kevin Durant.
1: Yeah, I think looking at the minutes without Kevin Durant, as you said, plus 6.3 and minus 1.9 without him, I think that's the difference between a championship contender and essentially a play-in team. You know that's what you're looking at without Kevin Durant. And then these numbers, uh, the solo minutes for Kyrie, you know, that's a that's a good playoff team. And then obviously with Kyrie and Ben on the floor, minus four point seven is rough. But you also I think have some context. A lot of those lineups have been pretty bad, especially defensively going small. You know, sometimes playing Kyrie and Seth with Joe Harris and Royce O'Neal. And then also Ben and Kyrie at times have had a weird synergy, and Ben has a tendency to initiate offense with Seth Curry more than Kyrie Irving, especially on those dribble handoffs. And I think they're going to have to – incorporate each other a little bit more you know I think Ben has had more success rolling with Kevin Durant on the floor than he probably has had with Kyrie Irving I don't have the numbers to back that up but going to the year we expected the Kyrie and Ben duo to be more successful or more efficient maybe than the Katie and Ben one where that hasn't necessarily been the case this is going to be a great opportunity for those guys to find a groove and also I think for Vaughn to find lineups that amplifies both players
2: yeah, and I think it's uh, probably the biggest challenge for Jacques Vaughn you know, in his short tenure as a Brooklyn Nets Brooklyn Nets head coach. You know, he's been incredible, exceeded my expectations and many other Nets fans. So he's gonna have to find those combinations. You know, is T.J. Warren's minutes gonna have to increase his you to Watsonabe, who is going to start? And if, I think we get into a lot of those questions here because you threw out a, a heap of them. I guess the the number one thing is who is going to start. In Kevin Durant's place, I've seen a lot of people advocating for T.J. Warren. I've seen some use of Watanabe stands. You know, maybe that might be me and some of my burners. Uh, <laughs> but they have also heard, you know, Joe Harris, who has performed well as the start of this season, but has been, you know, average-ish, you know, of late.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed.
2: who who do you think should start? Who do you think will start? Yeah, I think there's three
1: options, and you name them all. You know, you look at TJ Warren. He has the best chance to replicate a percentage of the Kevin Durant offense, especially from you know, mid-range, and ISO obviously not as efficient, gives you that other scoring option in the starting lineup. Utah Watanabe gives you the three-point shooting in. Uh, has some similarities defensively, not to the level of Kevin Durant, but gives you that length and that defensive versatility. And then Joe Harris, a player who's been struggling off the bench, giving him an opportunity to find his groove and provide an impact for this team that he just hasn't been providing. And I think that could be something to look at where, you know, Utah's already playing well, TJ's already playing well off the bench. Joe Harris is not playing well, and we've seen the difference between starter minutes and bench minutes for him. Maybe you you try Joe in there, and he's a guy that also will open up space for Kyrie to be effective and potentially allow Ben to get his passing going. And if you're going to stay with Ben and Clax, which seems to be super likely, you need as much spacing as possible. Joe Harris is going to probably provide you the most of that, and and ideally he gets back on track.
2: Yeah, I think Ben and Claxton, that's going to be an interesting scenario as well because normally Jacques Vaughn will keep those two. If they're onto the floor together, they're generally with Kyrie and Katie because the shot making of those two is what you know just sort of supersedes the lack of spacing that sort of happens when you have Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton off the floor. So that's going to be a, another interesting wrinkle to keep an eye on. But I remember tweeting out, this was like December 10th, Joe Harris off the bench was averaging like less than six points. was shooting le- like 30% from the field and like 26% from three. And then as a starter, we're shooting like nearly 49% from the field and over 51% from three over 11 points. Now those numbers obviously probably would have changed in the past month or so, but it shows you that Joe Harris is a starter. He's been a a relatively long-term starter with the Brooklyn Nets in his tenure since coming to Brooklyn and revitalizing his career uh, in the black and white. So, I would who would you advocate for, Nick? We sort of brought the names to the fore. I think TJ Warren is a name. If you're looking for the most similar facsimile of what Kevin Rant provides, TJ Warren is probably that in terms of the shot making, the ability to create his own a little bit. You know Joe Harris might be next, but I think you to Watson Arby's probably had a better season uh, than Joe Harris, and I think is just a bit more confident right now than Joe Harris is. So if I'm doing a ranking of of informed plays, you'd probably go TJ utah joe but you almost might go joe tj utah because i don't know if you want to you know overexert the 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 amount of you know burden on tj warren who is still finding his footing coming back from a a pretty heavy and and pretty serious injury himself
1: yeah and you could argue that maybe you need tj more with the bench units because they won't necessarily include two stars all the time now and the splits for joe harris I'm sure this is not from three. It's a starter, 46%, as a reserve, 24%. That is a huge difference in impact. Uh, Averages 10 points game as a starter, five points as a reserve. I think you bring up a great point too, Jack, in terms of not messing with the rotation as much, even though Vaughn has kind of been all over the place. I just look at it as a potential boost to Joe Harris, where the other guys I already know are playing well, and if Joe continues to play poorly, take him out of the starting lineup. And I think at the end of the day, we've discussed this since we started the pod, it doesn't matter really who starts, it's about the minute load you receive. I expect TJ Warren to see his minutes kicked up. Uh, Utah Watanabe's minutes have been really all over the place. That'll be interesting to see how Vaughn deals with that, but I think he has to play more because of the length and defensive versatility provides that the Nets will be missing and that has made them one of the best teams in the NBA this season. So I think I'm really leaning with Joe Harris, even though he's had the worst season of the three. I think there's the biggest potential for him to do better in a starting role. And if he doesn't, that answers your question kind of before the trade deadline of what you should probably do with him.
2: Yeah, it's a, that's a good point about the, the trade possibilities. And also, Joe doesn't get a lot of stuff run for him. Maybe this gives him an opportunity where, like, offensively, Igor gets into his bag a little bit and you know, goes to the sort of Kenny Atkinson style and runs a, a, a play every quarter or play every couple of quarters you know, for Joe Harris. First on, play of off- the game. First play of the game, off pin downs, off screens, off ball sort of stuff. But another guy, Nick, that I think is going to have an increased burden, and we saw it a little bit in that heat game, is Seth Curry. And I think that having Seth Curry right now – is probably going to be a good thing because the ability to create your own shot in the absence of Kevin Durant, it's essentially Kyrie Irving, it's essentially TJ Warren, and it's essentially Seth Curry that are the three guys that can do that at various degrees. And Seth did it pretty well last night against the Miami Heat team that is probably not the best matchup for him. So I think that if he can have a semblance of consistency, his three ball wasn't even falling a heap last night as well. I expect that to change. He is an an incredible three-point shooter. So I think Seth might get a a little bit of a run and see an increase in his minutes. I think he played like 24 or something last night. And I think you could see something similar going forward. And you take away the sort of 30 that happened from KD and you split those an extra 10 each, maybe 15 more for 12 for Joe and 8 and and, and 10 for for Utah and and TJ. That's where I, I could see the sort of split happening uh, in general but we could see you know some people advocating for cam thomas i don't see that as likely but you know we've we've seen jacques vaughn get a little bit weird and funky at times and as i i, I, I love the lineup sort of things nick and i've always been worried about curry irving and seth curry yep. as a duo on the floor and in terms of the defense the offense you know the the, the size 275 minutes together so a relatively large sample size 116.7 offensive rating defensive running 5.2. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I think it's probably
1: better than a lot of us would anticipate, myself included. You know, I thought it would probably be a little bit closer where I I anticipated the offense being good, but not as large a gap because that's what a a five point net rating almost right there. So, I mean, Seth, like you said, Jack is going to have opportunities to step up. The nets have probably given him more playmaking than I anticipated going into the year. That's only going to increase. And honestly, you could see less Kyrie and Seth on the floor together at this point because now Vaughn needing to use Seth in these different, you know, lineups and having another ball handler on the floor. And I, I think, you know, Cam will have a shot somewhere in the stretch to play. You know, someone's going to get hurt, miss a game, get in foul trouble, and Cam can get you a bucket. It'll just be about him doing the other things if he's able to earn that spot in the rotation.
2: Yeah, I think as well, Nick, you know, we haven't even touched on on Ben Simmons in terms of yeah. the burden that's going to have to increase for him. And a couple of days ago, I tweeted out whenever he averages nine or more field goal attempts, the Nets are 5-0. Now, I'm not saying that that is a direct correlation, but is it not? When Ben Simmons is aggressive, the Nets do play well. And Jackson Lloyd put out a pretty good tweet, and I knew this. I remember tweeting out earlier in the year. You, know, you Just by the eye test, you can see that Ben Simmons isn't aggressive and the drives per game. This year he is averaging 3.2 drives per per game compared to 10.2 in 2020-21, 11.9 in 19-20, and he was fifth in the NBA in 17-18 when he was averaging 15.5. 3.2 drives per game is absolutely paltry, and my guy needs to step up.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was averaging more drives a quarter almost in some of the other seasons you mentioned. You know, that's Kind of ridiculous to a point, you know, especially because he hasn't spent his entire minute load on the floor with Nick Claxton. You know, that'd be an easy excuse. Oh, Claxton on the floor. It's clogged paint, blah, blah, blah. You know, pass the ball to Katie and Kyrie. No, there's opportunities for him to attack the rim. And even, you know, people were pointing out, you know, he was getting matchups against Kyle Lowry last night in the post and not looking to go at him. Like, I mean, if you're not going to take advantage of the eight to ten inch difference, then I don't know know, when you're going to do that. I think this is a real opportunity for Ben to get his confidence back. And the team need to count on him. Like the keys, you're gonna have the keys to the offense for certain stretches. Go to work, and you're gonna have great shooters on the floor. Maybe that's, you know, more small ball lineups. Would even maybe playing Markeith Morris or something like that. But Ben's gonna need to be better, and this is gonna be time for him to earn his money and hopefully find his groove to take that next step for the rest of the season.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I think that a way to sort of maximize both Ben and Clax, Clax has been incredible. We, you know, Clax City, is the population is overflowing. You can't get any sort of rentals there anymore. Airbnbs are sold out. You can't get a tenancy. The property prices are through the roof. But I think a way to maximize them is pairing Kyrie and Clax and I think pairing Seth and Ben because I think that there seems to be a more innate chemistry. And again, Nick, I'm still doing throwing numbers at you. Kyrie and Klax without coming around on the floor this season. A decent amount of time, 146 minutes, 119.5 offensive rating, 109.1 defensive rating, plus 10.4. That's pretty freaking good. And I saw semblances of that last night as well in the fourth quarter with Kyrie Irving and, and Klax because Kyrie was getting doubled a lot, getting blitzed a lot. And Clax was in the right positions for those lobs, for those finishes around the rim. He's been really good there. So I think... That could be one little technique and hopefully Jacques Vaughn's listening to some of these numbers.
1: Yeah, I would love that. I think we've seen, that you know, Clax and Kyrie have had a chemistry for a while. You know, maybe not as much on the court, but off the court. You know, Clax has really spoken highly of Kyrie and, you know, the the leadership and the mentorship he's given him in terms of, you know, being a better player. And I think you could look at lineups of, you know, like Kyrie Irving, Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren, Utah Watanabe, and Nick Claxton. Like, that could be a pretty fun lineup. You know, you give... You know Kyrie, another ball handler, and T.J. Warren. You give him a semi-ball handler, and Royce O'Neal. Utah spaces the floor, and Clax is that role threat. And now, you know, there's options for you to be successful. So Vaughn's going to have some work to do, but he has a lot of, you know, ant- a lot of uh, options to go with for different lineups to really succeed without Kevin Durant, which just truly was not the case last year. You know, as much as we disliked uh, Steve Nash and his coaching last season, even the best coach would have struggled with some of the lineup options the Nets were throwing out last season.
2: Yeah, and that was just, you know, roster construction. Sean Marks was to blame there. And now Sean Marks deserves some of the credit for adding you know, some quality rotation guys. Maybe you see Edmund Sumner get yeah. a little bit more of time as well. So there is depth in the rotation for the Nets. It's gonna be how Vaughn finds those combinations that find success. You, know, you you got we've got little combinations that we've alluded to that we would like to see. Know, how do you fill that out with you know a five-man sort of rotation? You know, there's not going to be a heap of numbers out there for that, which is why I was sort of just looking at the duos and such. But Nick, any other sort of things you wanted to talk about in terms of who needs to step up before we get into maybe you know, some predictions and trade stuff and and those sort of little things?
1: Yeah, I think everyone needs to step up a little bit defensively, you know, defensively and just offensively look to move and make you know quick decisions with the basketball because defenses are going to be a lot more locked in on everyone because we're typically used to seeing five guys stare at Kevin Durant and him creating an advantage for the offense. Everyone's just going to have to be a tick better in every category. And Specific guys, as you mentioned, and as we've mentioned, Ben Simmons is going to have to be substantially better. And I think on both ends, you know, Ben still has another gear to hit defensively and multiple gears to hit offensively. Joe Harris just getting back to the player he's been in the past. He doesn't have to be anything extraordinary, just get back to being a 45% three point shooter and crazy off ball movement. And then also, I think uh, TJ Warren, you know, continue to get his legs under him and get closer to what we saw in that last season with the Pacers when he was healthy.
2: yeah, I think in all those points are incredibly valid it's just like the the guys playing to their normal capabilities is going to and maybe the increased opportunity allows them to do that it allows to Joe to you know really step up it allows Seth to step up you know Utah with a bit more time or TJ with a little bit more time you know I think that you know, Joe Harris might you know thrive in this role I hope he does I've been a Joe Harris stand in the past I've had mixed feelings about him this season and previously as well but yeah it's going to be by committee you know and, and Kyrie sort of said it after the game as well as like you know we we don't we can't afford to sort of look at who we don't have we've got to just focus on who we do have and and move forward but in terms of what they don't have nick do you think and there's been a bit of a discussion on that sort of social media about this does kevin rad's absence actually increase the need for a trade to be made and increase the the depth in the rotation or quality in the rotation
1: I think if you're very locked in on, you know, getting a, a top three or top two seed, you know, you you that makes you make a move. But I think in a realistic scenario, if you were gonna make a move, the only thing this does is kind of, you know, speed the timeline up. You know, hey, we're we're gonna pursue, you know, a la Kyle, Kyle Kuzma. You know, instead of making making aggressive offers the first week of February, now maybe you're, you know, contacting Washington right now and trying to get that deal done a little bit sooner, or you know, Mo Bamba in Orlando or somebody like that. And We'll jump pretty deep into different trade options on our next podcast. But I think the only thing it would for me is just speed up the timeline. Like it's not really going to change the outlook of your season because, again, it's a month long and you're going to miss probably about 10 games or something like that. It's not going to be the end of the world. But if you think that there's a move out there, you just maybe speed it up. And that maybe includes another second round pick. Who cares? Because you want to maintain your spot in the standings. I understand it.
2: Yeah, to look at it from the opposing side in terms of other teams, if they, they see that the Nets there's a sense of like urgency or desperation from the Nets, then that's a way to get extra assets, as yep. you alluded to, and you know maybe that you know, makes the Nets worse off either temporarily or going forward, like, you know, how much is an upgrade over, you know, Joe Harris, Kyle Kuzma over Joe Harris, probably, you know, decent enough, you know, John Collins, you know, Mo Bamba, you know, maybe this is where the Nets maybe can get the chance to make a smaller move you know, somewhere around the fringes. You know, I'd love to see, you know, Patty Mills move for someone, but, you know, that seems unlikely. Someone Ma-
1: like a scoring guard that can maybe pick up some of the missing points per game from Kevin Durant.
2: Yeah, well, obviously we'll we'll have to wait and see, but I think... Obviously, the Nets do need to increase, you know, Nick Claxton said that, that we've got everything we need here. They probably do. I would like to see some increase in quality in the rotation, you know, whether it's, I think Seth Co. might be actually pretty valuable in this, in this stretch where Kevin Rand is out. But if you can get an upgrade over him, you do. But I think that it seems unlikely because the Nets increased desire with Kevin Rand's absence is probably going to put them in worse footing when it comes to negotiations.
1: Yeah, it definitely could. You know, they're going to lose the leverage if they stay patient and much might not change. So it really depends on how the Nets are navigating the situation and how they feel about the roster. And like you said, with the guys they have, they could probably handle it, but that's only if specific players step up to the level they've played to in the past.
2: Exactly. Let's get to a a few final predictions. Now, we don't know how long Kevin Rand's going to be out. Let's hypothetically do around three weeks, 10 games, Nick. And So these are the games that the Nets have during that time span. Boston, OKC, both at home, at San Antonio, at Phoenix, at Utah, at Golden State, at Philadelphia. Then they come back and we've got Detroit at home, Knicks at home, and then that Lakers game. They might be a couple more games here and there, but just for the sake of having 10 games. Give me a prediction of how you think the Nets will fare over that 10-game span.
1: Yeah, I think just going down the list, you know, Boston's going to be pretty tough to beat. Obviously, the best record in the NBA. I think you'd mark that as a loss unless these guys can come with some magic. I think they can definitely handle OKC, San Antonio. Phoenix is probably a toss-up. Utah's a toss-up. I think you expect them to maybe win one of those games on the back-to-back. Beating Golden State in Golden State is going to be tough. Expect them to kind of find their groove with uh, Steph Curry coming back. Philadelphia is going to be a problem. Uh, and then when they get back on that home stretch against Detroit, the Knicks, and the Lakers – You know, they could finish that off with three, three wins. So I think six wins would be great, potentially seven. I think there's obviously just they're going against some really good NBA teams. So at worst, you hope five and five. And realistically, I think you expect six or seven wins.
2: Yeah, I think I'm my optimistic, and I'm the forever pessimist in general. Just sort of the, the the Zendaya slash MJ sort of scenario where you just have don't have high expectations, and then you're not disappointed. I think seven and three would be fantastic. You know, increase yeah. your your standings and, and go keep creeping up in in, in terms of your win loss record and your percentages there i would i would take five and five in, in a heartbeat because kevin around has led this team on both ends of the floor as you alluded to Nick. defensively he's been incredible offensively he's a, a wizard from the mid-range and everywhere else on the floor so i'd take five and five and even in a, in a pinch take four and six i think three and seven is where i would start to get a little bit disappointed but i think also to, to steal the words from kevin Oran, it's going to be about the process a the way you know how are the nets playing are they having some heartbreaking losses here and there then you might just have to take it ultimately we're judged on wins and losses the team is judged on wins and losses so give me five and five would be ecstatic with six and four or seven and three but you know this team has surprised us plenty of times already in in positive fashion i hope to be i hope that happens again um going forward
1: yeah i'll take six and four i think uh they have some good momentum and they're playing good basketball and some of the teams they're going to face are just not as good as them. So they should be able to win those games and maybe potentially steal one and get that seven win.
2: Now, Nick, you shared this with me and Sham Sarani is pretty plugged in when it comes to Kyrie Irving, Kim and Durant sort of stuff. He said, and this is via uh, the rally on Twitter, he said there is optimism that he's going to be able to return at some point before the All-Star break and play in the game in Salt Lake City, that being the All-Star game, not the game against Utah Jazz. In Let's do a general prediction now. Obviously, these can change, and Kevin Durant, you know, he's, we don't know his body and what's going on beso- behind the scenes. When do you think Kevin Durant will return?
1: Yeah, I mean, the way they're reporting is it seems like he'll probably return the week before the All Star game. That would be ideal. You you know, get him, you know, maybe in one or two of those games, let him play, see how he feels. Then he has the All Star game and the All Star break to kind of heal things up. If it was up to me personally, I might make him sit out until after the all-star break just because the injury lingered last year a good way to you know get him some minutes but at the end of the day it really depends on how he feels and how the injury's healing up and what the risk is and how the nets are doing you know on the court you know if they're if they go two and eight in that last stretch we talked about kd is going to feel some type of way and want to get back on the court if they're handling business he's probably going to be a little bit more casual in terms of his return. So there's just a lot of factors that are going to determine that, especially for a 34-year-old. You know, we're not talking about a 25-year-old healing super quick. It's a little bit harder when you get over 30.
2: Yeah, there's a part of me that just thinks Kevin Randall will be back for the next game just because there's something about, you know, KD loving that sort of little mini rivalry, you know, all all that little things here and there. And funny enough, the final game the Nets do have before the All-Star break is against the Miami Heat on February 15, before they come back uh, on February 24, American time, February 25. Uh, Keep five away years. from Jimmy Butler. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, look, I, I think that I would be conservative as well just because I want Kevin Rant long-term. But at the same time, if Kevin Rant is healthy, Kevin Rant's going to want to play basketball. And if he's 100%, you know, we know what he can do even when he's at lesser than that. And so hopefully we see him, you know, around that sort of range whether it's bulls Sixers, nicks Heat, or if not you know that um the bulls game after the all-star break so as long as he's good long term come the playoffs and the nets are, are likely going to be there we want KD to be good long term you know we've got that guy who, despite trade requests uh you know and all that sort of thing hopefully KD is back fit and healthy sooner rather than later and he's out there hooping for the nets but you know Think about, you know, what's going to be like, as you alluded to, you know, you don't want him to be putting up duds in the place because he's, he's got a bit of a bung knee. So we'll see how it pans out.
1: Yeah, I think ideally you want to have a top four seed. So I think that's going to play a role into some of the return stuff as well. As I said, if they're sinking in the standings, they do not want to come close to the play in. So that could have some type of impact and wanting to maintain at least home court in the first round
2: yeah exactly that's that's in, in the exact mindset to have any final thoughts on on kd nick before you know just to put people behind the scenes we're going to be doing a massive trade episode might have to do a couple of different parts of it but we will be diving deep into that some trade stuff we touched on it a little bit here so any final kd thoughts
1: get well kd we need you back on the court other than that jack always a pleasure happy to be back together in 2023 and big thanks everybody for listening to buzz